Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 16th episode of the Diverse Minds Podcast. Today we're going to be talking all about Disability History Month, which in the UK runs from the 22nd of November to the 22nd of December, and we're in the midst of it now. I just want to be honest before I delve into this episode. I've really struggled to record an intro for this episode because of the general election results in the UK. I know many people are very happy about the results, but I am personally struggling to process the outcomes and what it means. And on Friday night, um, once the election results had been announced, there's a programme in the UK called The Last Leg, which is a comedy programme crossed with a kind of current affairs approach. Um, And it is led by a number of disabled comedians. And one of the comedians, Adam Hill, was asking another comedian, Alex Brooker, around um, how things might change under our conservative majority government. And it was lighthearted. And Alex gave an example and he said that Well, I think instead of fox hunting, that certain people might start hunting disabled people. Um, And it was a joke and it was tongue in cheek, but actually it got me thinking about how much work we still have to do and how we all need to be allies in relation to disability. And on this episode, I'm going to be talking to Steph Cutler, who is the CEO and founder of Making Lemonade and someone I've known for a long time who's really helped me understand and become a better ally in relation to disability. And she talks about Being disabled is a club that we all join at some point or we will join at some point in our lives. And actually, it's not an exclusive club, so we all need to care about disability. So I just wanted to say that before the episode um, really starts in earnest, that I'm really struggling. But we've just had the 3rd of December, which was the International Day of People with Disabilities. And IDPD is celebrated every year. And I'm going to talk about the work of the wonderful Purple Space, who do the Purple Light Up in the UK. So firstly, what is disability? So disability under the UK's Equality Act 2010 is having a physical or mental impairment that has quote-unquote substantial and quote-unquote long-term negative effect on your ability to do normal day-to-day activities. So substantial means it's more than minor, so it takes much longer than it usually would for you to complete a daily task, for example, getting dressed. And long-term means that it lasts 12 months or more. So anything that comes under this definition, including mental ill health, will be counted under this definition. And interestingly, one in seven people globally are thought to have a disability. In the UK, there are around 7 million people of working age who are disabled. And current UK government figures suggest that disabled people make up 12.9% of the public sector workforce and 11% of the private sector workforce. And the Purple Pound, otherwise known as the spending power of disabled people in the UK, is valued at $249 billion to the UK economy. So as with all of the things I talk about, there is a legal case, a moral case and a business case to supporting understanding and being an ally for disability in the workplace and beyond. So I just want to talk a little bit about what you can do in the workplace to support disability and disabled staff. I think one of the most important things is to never assume what disabled staff want or need. 
You need to ask what's helpful and how someone prefers to work, but you really don't need to do a deep dive or delve into their medical and personal histories. And it's also important to remember that a one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work. Just because someone you might have worked with has a hearing impairment doesn't mean the next person who has a hearing impairment will have exactly the same experience. You need robust procedures in place, but with training and support for line managers to implement these effectively and to also understand that you'll need to look at things on a case-by-case basis. The second thing is it's important to challenge normative policy. And what do I mean by that? Well, policies more often than not are written from a particular perspective. On the whole, that tends to be a non-disabled perspective. So you need to talk to your disabled staff network colleagues, staff and disabled customers for input to get an improved policy and procedure that is fit for purpose and adaptable. And this was talked about more in the episode on domestic and sexual violence in the workplace, where Katie Russell highlighted the importance of using your local rape crisis centre to ensure that your domestic or sexual violence policy is fit for purpose. And this is exactly the same with any policies. They need to have a lens. They need to have a sense of, is it fit for purpose for staff with different sorts of disabilities? Now, if someone tells you they need some workplace adjustments or accommodations, as they're known in the US, you've got to ensure a timely process. Once a disabled staff member tells you about the adjustment or adjustments required, these will need to be implemented within two weeks. And the number of times I've seen staff struggle, disabled staff struggle to get their adjustments in place. um, And it's just not right because disabled staff, like with any other staff, they want to get the job done. And there's nothing more demoralising than not having the equipment and or recommendations that you need put in place in a timely fashion. And the other really important thing to note is that adjustments are not usually expensive or time-consuming, especially when you consider the increased productivity and outputs from the staff member. So demonstrate that you want to learn as an organisation. I think arranging training and development opportunities for your teams around disability and understanding is crucial. And I've seen organisations really struggle and they've made disability support much more complicated than it needs to be. So an interactive, engaging and open training session and subsequent support will mean there's disability literacy in place. It also removes the fears and misconceptions. And I always have a joke that people say, act natural, it's a disability, and then proceed to dive under their desk or workplace hiding grounds to ensure they don't have to confront quote-unquote disability. And this might sound glib, but I've, I've seen it happen time and time again. The fifth thing is the workplaces. You might want to be part of the Disability Confident campaign. Disability Confident replaced two ticks, and it's a scheme that is designed to help employers recruit, retain, and develop disabled people and people with health conditions for their skills and talents. And there are three different levels, committed, employer, and leader. And I've provided a link in the show notes for you to find out more. And finally, sign up to the wonderful Purple Space. I'm looking forward to having Kate Nash, CEO and founder of Purple Space, on the podcast later this, later, well, I say later this year, I mean 2020. But Purple Space help organisations across all industries and sectors to create disability employee networks and or resource groups. They then help the networks to build engagement strategies to stimulate better conversations about all aspects of disability in business with their internal allies, champions and executive sponsors. So there are my six top tips to implement really for Disability History Month and beyond. And of course, I couldn't talk about this all on my own. So I'm delighted to welcome Steph Cutler to the show. And as I mentioned, Steph Cutler is the founder and CEO of Making Lemonade, a business she set up from her own personal experience of acquiring sight loss. And Steph has won national acclaim for her approach and commitment to disability equality as a leadership coach, trainer, speaker and role model to other disabled people. 
Most recently, she was in the Disability Power 100 list in 2018 and was on the judging panel this year in 2019. She was also a member of the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Disability, um, a trustee for Action for Blind People, part of the RNIB group, and she's currently a Shaw Trust trustee. And in 2016, she also completed the Claw Social Leadership Fellowship. So I'm so delighted to welcome Steph Cutler to the show today. So to start with, Steph, can you tell our listeners a little bit about why you set up Making Lemonade? Yeah, thanks, Leila. So I set up uh, Making Lemonade off the back of experiencing unexpected sight loss. At the time, I was a fashion designer, working hard and playing hard in London, um, and disability never really came into my world. It didn't come into my thinking. I didn't have conversations about it. And so I was really unaware of of anything relating to disability. And yet, suddenly I found myself um, being given the news that I was going to uh, lose my sight. I knew it wouldn't be all my sight, and it hasn't been all my sight, but I live with significant sight loss. And in living with significant sight loss, I really started to experience the barriers that disabled people face which I wouldn't I wasn't aware of as I don't think are most non-disabled people and I don't think those barriers come from like a bad place always I don't think people go out to to make it more difficult Uh, I think it's a lack of consideration quite often but in doing so it does make uh, living and working as a disabled person much more difficult because even small barriers actually can have really big impact on you and your ability to to get through days and do what you need to do. And what do you think then, given your experience about this year's Disability History Month theme of leadership, culture and resistance? Yeah, so I think this year's Disability History Month topic is a really interesting one. I've been championing lived experience leadership for over 10 years and I think the lack of representation of disabled people at senior levels and on boards is an issue. I think organisations miss a trick by not having our lived experience and our lived expertise as part of decision-making at that level. And the pace of change would be more rapid with disabled people sitting around those tables because I think change does come from the top often and filters down. And when it happens in that way, um, it tends to happen faster. So let's take them one by one. Let's start with leadership. How do you think that the disability movement, disabled people and the workplace define leadership in this context? I think disabled people show an awful lot of leadership. I shouldn't they show a lot of leadership in their daily lives. But I don't think leadership needs to be sitting at boards and at you know executive levels. Leadership is happening all around us. And I was made really aware of that this year. Um, when I was a judge on the Disability Power 100 list, we literally had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of applications from disabled people across the country who were showing enormous leadership in the work that they do. Um, And whilst the, the role as judge was really tough, it was tough because the standard was so high and the amount was was so vast that actually getting through all the applications and deciding upon 100 was really, really difficult. So there is lot. There are lots of disabled people showing leadership um, in lots of different ways. You know, at grassroots levels within communities, um, online, 
all showing leadership and creating social change in doing so. So whilst there aren't enough disabled people in that conventional, traditional leadership type role, there are plenty of disabled people showing leadership all the time in everything they do. Um, and that that's really, really important. And I found what you just said incredibly fascinating because I always say we lead our own lives. So I couldn't agree more with you and what you've said in relation to leadership. So secondly, what about resilience then? What does that mean to you? And I think resilience can be quite a broad term and mean different things, but I'd really love to hear from you what resilience means in this context. The fact as a disabled person in 2019, I sit here and I have rights and I'm in work and I have opportunities is a testament to the resistance shown by disabled people who came before me And I often feel a real sense of gratitude to those people because, yeah, things aren't perfect and we do still have a good way to go on disability equality. However, I think the people in the past um, just showed so much resistance um, to get us to be able to be where we are today. It's still far too easy as a disabled person to feel like a second-class citizen But you don't have to go too far back in history to see that in the past, disability meant second class. And we need to keep up the resistance so as to really eliminate this idea that being disabled means you're second class. You know, we aren't there yet with equality um, and we need to take the baton on up and run with it and continue that resistance and I think that's what was so enlightening and um, exciting about the Disability Power 100 list because um, it really did show that there is a new generation coming through who are who are doing this and doing it really well so I, I do have high hopes that actually you know we'll, can keep, we'll keep on this trajectory of reducing and removing barriers and and keeping that resistance up um, to 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 honour what came before us. And then finally, the theme of culture. What does disabled culture mean in the workplace to you and in this context? And how could people celebrate and understand Disability History Month, giving credence to the culture element? I see that there are many disabled people doing amazing work to challenge stigmas and um, create social change. But I don't feel like there is a sense of culture disability culture that binds those people. I think that in the past there was a stronger disability movement based on a disability culture that doesn't really exist in the same way anymore, not as I see it. And I I think that's because there are many more ways now in which we can be a disability activist. Um, In the past, it it, it was a direct action. That was the main way in which you could create a noise and um, start a campaign. Whereas nowadays, particularly with social media, you know, you can be an armchair activist to good effect. What that tends to mean, therefore, is that people don't physically come together because they don't need to. Um, And I wonder whether that's part of this reduction in, in disability culture. I also think that disability is is... It's like a unique club. So you're unlikely to be born into it, but you're very likely to die part of it. Um, And when you get your membership to our disability club, 
there's often a sense of of tragedy that that comes with that so we don't celebrate disability um it's not a club most people want to join although like i say most people will um and i think the disability culture would strengthen if we started to frame disability differently and talk about what actually um what we what we do because of our disability not despite it and if we were more accepting of it then I think there would be a stronger sense of of pride associated with being a disabled person. I think that's so powerful the way in which you described disability as a club that we're all likely to join at some point in our lives and we all get membership for that club I think that's really really insightful. So what would you say to people who find themselves as part of this club when they weren't expecting to be part of the club at any point during their lives? I would say find ways to find peace with living with your impairment. Through my professional and personal development training and coaching that I deliver, I come across so many disabled people for whom they they battle with themselves around their impairment. And that is exhausting. They spend so much time and energy and effort um, often hiding how their impairment affects them. Um, and this just makes life so much more difficult. And I think life's difficult enough as a disabled person. So I would say try not to make it more difficult again. I think, you know, we, we are more productive, we are more effective when we are able to be ourselves and we are sort of comfortable with that. This comes back to culture, which we did just touch upon earlier. Um, Workplace culture is really important here because in order to do that, we as disabled people uh, need to feel like that's going to be okay. We have safe spaces to do that and that coming to work and sharing information about an impairment or a long-term health condition that we live with is not going to have a detrimental effect um, on coming to work the following day. I think there's so many meaty ideas, thoughts and insights that you've shared with us, Steph, and I really appreciate you taking the time out. In particular, if you haven't heard about the social model of disability, uh, first presented to the world by Mark Oliver and taken on by many, many people from an academic perspective, but also a practical perspective, do check out the social model of disability. Also, please feel free to find out more about Disability History Month on the Disability History Month UK website. And I'm also going to be talking to Kate Nash, CEO of Purple Space in 2020. So that will give you a really good insight into disability staff networks. And also, if anyone wants to get in touch with Steph, I've provided her LinkedIn and her Twitter details as part of the show notes on the Diverse Minds website. So thanks again, Steph, and I hope you have a wonderful Disability History Month. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Leila. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.